Thanks so much for tuning in today to the Quarantine Quartet. Today we have a special episode. We are interviewing Mr. O. He is a teacher at Apex High School. We hope you enjoy. So I want to welcome to the show today, Altman's. Hey, guys. And our guest, Mr. O. Hey, hey. So, Mr. O, would you mind just giving the listeners a quick introduction to who you are so they can get to know you just a bit better? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, I want to thank you for inviting me to be your guest today. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, just an opportunity to uh, just have this discussion today. Um, my name is is Rodney, uh, Rodney Obigbina. Uh But folks over at Apex High School know me as Mr. O. Um, and so I've taught business classes, marketing classes, uh, decade advisor for the past five years. Um, and I also have boy girl twins that are 13. Uh, they are rising eighth graders uh, at Carroll Magnet. So uh, pretty busy. So we just want to continue to have a dialogue about current events this week. And today we're going to focus on the events of George Floyd and this movement that's begun around of America. Last week we talked about Twitter and we talked about how social media is kind of handling this engagement with the president. But this week, we kind of want to focus on the events that began to spark that interaction. So there have been protests through all 50 states in the United States uh, that were kind of sparked by the killing of George Floyd while in police custody. And there's no question about this. It was wrong. All four officers have been arrested. They've been brought up on charges. And we are hoping that justice is going to happen in this situation. So with that in mind, we just kind of want to have a dialogue and an interview with Mr. O so he can kind of give perspective to our audience, some of his thoughts, some of the things we want to see in our local community and just what it looks like moving forward as Americans. Uh, So let's get started with that. So yeah, on this podcast and because we're history teachers, social studies teachers, we like to talk a lot about civil discourse and civic engagement on this podcast but also in our classes. Um, And so in that vein, uh, our first question, Mr. O, is, um, you know, we've seen a lot of protests over the week, um, and we just wanted to know what are your general impressions of what you've seen um, from last weekend to now? So for me, I think it's really important that we keep an emphasis on the why and not the what. And although a large portion, I would say 99.9% of the protests have been peaceful, if all we talk about are the protests themselves and not the reason behind the protest, then the message gets diluted. And so I think it's important for us to to just keep that in mind. Um, And I think about, you know, what's happened recently with Roger Goodell and the NFL and with Colin Kaepernick taking the knee uh, once he got that advice from the uh, Army Ranger Nate Boyer. Had we paid attention to the why during that time frame, we may not be in this situation today. And so, you know, it's easy to deflect and pivot from the issue. But I think we need to continue to talk about why the kneeling why the protest and the reason behind it so that we can hopefully galvanize and move forward with real lasting change. I think that's great. I, I appreciate the way you put that about focusing on the why and not the what, because I think as a society, we've become so accustomed to looking for what we don't like. We look for the thing we can focus on that we can yell at or tweet about or whatever it may be. Um, and maybe sometimes America needs to say, well, 
Well, let's listen first. Let's ask yeah. questions first. Definitely. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I thought it was really powerful. Actually, I saw on social media, you know, that when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, it was peaceful protest. You didn't want to listen. And, and now, of course, we're, we've reached the point where we are. Um, and so, you know, that, that why has apparently fallen on a lot of deaf ears. Um, and so how do we keep that focus on the why, but how do we also effectively, how are we effectively heard by policymakers? I think is, is what I, where a lot of this frustration is. So I think, I mean, that's, it's very complicated, right? And I think everyone has to start with themselves and when someone hears Black Lives Matter, those who have this uprising in them, this internal conflict that they feel to say, well, all lives matter, which we all know they do. But I think the people that feel that need to look at themselves and ask a question, why? It doesn't make them a bad person, okay? But I think we are all trying to deal with things that we maybe don't want to recognize as true in our country. And so uh, I think that's important. We have to understand internally what's driving that. Why do I feel that? And then try to come to some sort of resolution within yourself or within families that, hey, here's, here's, here's why. Um, in terms of policy, um, and I think this is where we can all really be effective because this is not right or wrong. And, you know, the, the, the reality is when you are dead, when you die, your tombstone is not going to say, here lies a left winger, here lies a right winger, here lies a Republican, here lies a Democrat. Death knows no party. And so that's the reality. And so if we can just say, hey, listen, this is about humanity. We watched a man die, a slow death, eight minutes and 46 seconds on TV in broad daylight. If we can't agree that that's wrong, then we are in trouble. And so I think we have to really come together and have a set of, um, this is to me very complex. Yeah, you have to have policies and you have to have many other things uh, and maybe we'll get to this question later. But to me, this has to start with an amendment to the 13th Amendment that takes away the incentive for black people to be treated the way they have been. Um, and I think to me, that's a start. And then we can talk about all of the other legislative changes that can help make sure that those things stay in place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you want to dive into that a little bit more about what you mean about the 13th Amendment? Yeah, so the 13th Amendment has a clause in it, right? And the 13th Amendment abolished slavery and uh, was part of the Reconstruction Amendments, right? The 13th, the 14th, and the 15th Amendment. You can probably correct me on this stuff. I'm not a history buff. No, you're good. Uh, but, you know, the 13th Amendment said that we will no longer have slavery except for those who are criminals. And so when the slaves were freed, it was, hey, this is great, right? Slaves are free except as criminals. And so this began the uprising of the Ku Klux Klan. This began the uprising of, uh, with the movie, The Birth of a Nation, 
which showed blacks to be black males in particular to be feared, to be criminals, to be someone that you don't want to be around. And supported by President Wilson in that film, President Wilson acknowledges that. It's crazy. Yeah. And so when 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 black people say, hey, listen, this is the systemic inequality that America was built upon. It's baked in the system. Right. And so when you have those things and you have the incentive to look at black males in particular or just black people in particular as a threat, then that's how you're going to treat them. Right. And so, um, you know, teach marketing and business and, and we talk about branding and it's a big deal now with athletes. Everyone's talking about their brand. If we had to think of a slogan for America, what would that be? What is America's brand? That's a, that's, I actually, I don't ask it in that way, but what does it mean to be American? It's a very challenging thing for students to come up with. I think for any American it is, it's, you know, football, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that will likely change depending upon your perspective and who you are and how you live. Um, and so I think those are important things to look at and, and reconcile as a country. Um, before we can have restoration, we have to have reconciliation. And you can have recon only can have reconciliation once we understand what's happened. And so one of the things that, you know, I talked about even in my marketing classes and entrepreneurship classes, uh, especially around Black History Month, is the impact of uh, just slavery and injustice on businesses. And a lot of students did not know what redlining was. They did not know about reconstruction. They didn't know about uh, the Tulsa riots, um, the Rosewood massacre, um, and how all of that impacts people today. Because the question you get asked often is, well, yeah, that stuff happened a long time ago, but you know, aren't we all better now? Aren't we all free now? And so it, students need to understand that. And I, I think that they just don't know. They just don't know. Yeah, I think that um, fairly recently in the social studies department, we're having this conversation more and more about um, are we really intentionally teaching that part of history? And I think that, you know, I had to ask that question later on. I had it marked down for later. What can we do as educators? I think for, for me, Mr. McBride and Mr. Conway and Mr. Thomas, one of those things is we, we do, we have to kind of reframe that discussion because our units all have a section about African-Americans in them, but it feels absolutely like a token and like, here's this also going on. And how do we start really weaving that history into all the other history and being really intentional about having students think critically, like it wasn't slavery and then civil rights. There's a whole history that goes on there. Yeah. It becomes easy as educators to say, well, my textbook says this and I'm following the textbook and like, here's what the units lay out. But I, I feel like there's a responsibility on history teachers, especially to say, well, that's wrong to skip over, like to, to misunderstand an amount of history in between slavery and the civil rights movement. And even just in my class, I, I 
impress upon my students so much. I don't think we often think about the idea of how recent the civil rights movement was. Like, I don't think we tell ourselves, like, we know people who were alive during this. Like, we know people who were denied access, equal access to schooling or... I don't I don't think we let that sink in enough sometimes. So it makes sense that people get angry about this because it happened in people's lifetime. Yeah, um, it's so true. I mean, um, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, uh, I, I grew up in Houston, actually. Um, you know, thinking about how we started this conversation with George Floyd, um, you know, we're around the same age. Um, he was 46, I'll be 45 this year. Um, and, and so when I think about conversations I have with my grandmother, whose neighborhood is 10 to 15 minutes from where George Floyd grew up. And I would ask her about what her life was like as a young person. And she would tell me stories about her riding on the back of the bus in how when my grandfather would go to a store, he had to go in the back entrance. And, and, to, and to me, it wasn't something that I read in a history book. This was my grandmother telling me about her life. And, and so it really wasn't that long ago. And, and so those feelings and those sentiments and those stains are still there. And we're dealing with all of that today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I uh, when I am doing those those units in class, what's one of the things I have to tell them is slavery ended in 1865. But you know what what have we been talking about ever since then? And you talk about these literacy tests. I show them these literacy tests from 1956 in Louisiana, and they it blows their mind. And I'm like, so slavery ended, but they couldn't vote or change anything about the reality for another century. And so uh, it's it's definitely, I think, something that we've got to do a better job of um, and hopefully create some empathy um, amongst students for, for what's going on because um, it's it's just undeniable the, the impacts of, of what we've done throughout this nation's history. And by the way, that's the other thing as I tell them, you know, because some people could accuse me of bashing the United States when I do that. And I always tell them, like, I don't want to end, I, I don't want to bash myself and say I'm a horrible person, but there's parts of my life that I have to acknowledge were awful. And, and the only way that I can really mature and be better is if I confront those. And so encouraging you and our listeners uh, out there that this isn't this isn't a a doom to the United States. This is more of a let's confront it. And this is what Mr. O is saying: confront it. Let's get to the bottom of it, and then we can truly move forward, rather than just say we're moving forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I look at it as uh, as just an example. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, right? So, if if you're a business owner and someone says to you, hey, listen, um, we have this business that has been left to you. You are now the new proud owner of XYZ business. And you take a look at that business and it's been in the family for, you know, a hundred years. You have nothing to do with the business. 
and you look at the books and you say, man, this is a horrible business. We have no revenue. We're not making any money. In fact, we're in the red and we're about to close. So, but you've been given the keys and you've been giving the, the, the contract, you own it. So even though you had nothing to do with the failure of the business, you may not even know the history of why the business failed, but it's in your hands now. And, and so what are you gonna do with it? Are you going to do what you can to make sure it thrives and survives? Or are you going to say, listen, this is my father's fault. This is my grandfather's fault. This is not my problem. At some point, true leaders have to own things that they didn't cause and come up with ways that we can move forward if you want to sustain that business or if you want that business to survive. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it in a small way. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I don't want to ramble. No, it's good. And I think that's helpful. I, I, and this might not be a direct connection, but I, I think it reminds me a little bit of like so many Americans have their identity wrapped up with um, the American, the American identity, I think. And in an example specifically, I think could be uh, the Confederate flag and Confederate monuments, I think, where people kind of cling to this idea that I think is, I don't know, I, I want to say it's uniquely American because my wife and I went to go visit Europe um, a couple years ago and we were in, in Berlin and the way they acknowledge World War II is, is so different from every other country. Um, they, they mourn it. I think they mourn it. They mourn the Holocaust. They mourn what happened. They acknowledge it. They, they willfully acknowledge it and they don't forget it, but they mourn the wrong that happened. Um, and I, I think too often as Americans, we celebrate it. Yeah. Um, you know, every, every movie we see, and we kind of laugh at it, right? When we see a movie with someone who um, has addiction, which obviously that's not funny, uh, but we see them sitting in a circle and, you know, they say their name and they say, yes, I'm so-and-so and I have a problem. It's, it's like the first step of anyone who has an issue is admitting they have an issue. And I think in this country, we've had a hard time admitting it, right? I mean, we're like really fully owning it. And what I heard you say when you went to Berlin, like that's how you own a problem. To mourn it, to acknowledge it, to say never again. I mean, that's, you know, I would love to see us get to that point in America. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I And this is, I just read this today, which I thought was interesting. The Marine Corps um, just sent out a release today that the Confederate flag is banned in all forms on um, Marine institutions. Wow. 2020. <laughs> right. <laughs> so wow. it's, yeah. Uh, so I guess kind of following up on this is um, like, I, I feel like I've seen way more people interact with, with, especially with the George Floyd case. Um, and whether that's because of quarantine and they just have no distraction, no way to escape it, or whether it's just so in your face, we can't really explain this one away. Um, I guess my question is, do you get a sense of maybe this being a shifting point in U.S. history where we get to what you're talking about? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, 
I know for me, you know, seeing the solidarity among all ethnic backgrounds joining in uh, on the protest, man, that gives me hope for a, a lasting systemic change. I think for whatever reason, the, the youth today, okay, um, pulling my old man out, okay, <laughs> these young people today, uh, they have such an intolerance for injustice across the board. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, right? It, w whether it's, you know, equal pay, whether it's um, LGBTQ issues, whether it's any type of injustice, they're not having it. And so that gives me hope. And, and I'm really encouraged by what I see across the board with so many people locking arms that don't look alike joining in on the protest. So I certainly believe this is a tipping point. And um, I'll hopefully... I hope that it's something that will will last and lead to real systemic changes. Yeah, I, I agree. I hope so too. And to me, that just seems seismic. I don't know what it is that's so different. I can't put my finger on it. I guess, but it was it was really cool today. We were at NC State walking around and and um, with my sons, and uh, the protesters were marching down Hillsborough Street. Um, it was a, it was a really cool thing because. Um, my son's seven and he doesn't understand all that's going on, but I, he was wondering what it was. And I could tell him that these are people who are protesting what they think is wrong about society and they're doing a good thing. And that, and I, it doesn't mean that, you know, he has to adopt their viewpoints, but just the idea of people being able to speak out against something that they feel is wrong, um, is, is very American, and which is why it boggles my mind that so many people think it's anti-American. Yeah. But that's another topic for another day, I guess. But So I have a, a question for you that I want to get your opinion on. I think uh, we talk about this a ton on the show, how we live in these echo chambers that are Twitter, that are Facebook, that are Instagram. Um, and there's a lot of people right now who are um, sitting at home, they're looking at social media, and they're seeing people post um, the Candace Owens video and they're seeing people post all lives matter. And they're seeing people say, well, we need to embrace our history and not remove the Confederate monuments. And they're sitting there and, and they don't know what to do. What, what, what should people do? What's our responsibility when it comes to social media as Americans? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, and I think, social media is such a, an interesting construct, right? We have, all of us now have these microphones that we are sometimes yelling in and the people we're yelling to are also yelling and everyone's yelling and screaming and we all have different things that we're trying to get across. And, and what that means is that very few people are listening. And so I think to me, in order for us to flip media on its head, and we first have to realize we are the media, right? Because we're reporting. But it is way too easy for us to turn on our favorite whatever station or channel and listen to a pundit who has extreme views and just become comfortable in those silos. So I think in terms of social media um, and just who we listen to, uh, we, we just, we have to be careful. And I think that's where when I first started talking about challenging what we think and what we feel, because if we constantly are talking to people who only agree with us, then we have a problem, 
right? Um, and one of the things that I say in class often is we have to learn to disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And that's just the basic rule of respect. We may, all, we may not all like each other um, or views that we have because we're complicated people, but we're human beings at the end of the day. And so acknowledging that your viewpoint might be different than mine, that's fine. That's great. We do it in sports all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge LSU football guy. But, you know, if if I run across someone who's a Tennessee fan or an NC State or, or yeah, see, <laughs> Tennessee, right? Uh, I'm not going to not talk to you because you like Tennessee. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, we can still go out and hang out and have fun, and I hope my team beats your team. We can also hug it out and love each other and keep it moving. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the social media piece is hard uh, because we don't have to be in front of someone. We don't have to um, actually have real interaction with people. You type a message, you put your phone down and you move away. So that's that's a that's a really difficult one to kind of, I think, navigate. Yeah, it's one of those things where social media has taught me a lot. I've been exposed to so many different viewpoints, but man, is it sometimes just uh, a problem. Yeah, it's a hard thing to navigate for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're you're the perfect guest because we've been preaching this uh, throughout these podcasts. It is okay to disagree with somebody. Uh, But kind of going back to the root of figuring out, okay, here's what we disagree on, but where is your common ground? And you can almost always find it. Absolutely. So, and I just wanted, you know, I don't, I don't know where this fits into this conversation. It's just, as you were talking about that, I flashed back, there's these, these two things, images that we, we use in class. One was during the abolitionist movement as the slave kneeling and saying, am I not a brother and a man? Um, and then in the 1960s, walking around with these placards that saying, I am a man. And so for any of you listening, um, that is absolutely where we should start. If you don't think that George Floyd was a man, then I can't help you. But if you acknowledge that, then where do we go from there? And, and that should logically take you to the point where I think that this nation needs to go. I'm so glad you said that. And and I think when I look at those images and think back, um, you know, or or reading about that time frame and that really what they were saying was, I am a whole man. Right. Because, you know, when you think about Jim Crow with the three fifths of a man, um, not even being recognized as a whole human being is insane. Yeah. Right. So not only am I, a man, I am a full human being with full feelings and I want full rights. Treat me as a person. And, um, and it's, I mean, in many ways it's, it's, uh, that's what people are saying today, right? Um, we're people, um, we deserve full rights. Um, we deserve to not, um, have our skin uh, be criminalized. And um, I shouldn't have to be scared in my own neighborhood to take a walk or get in my car and go to school, fearing that 
there could be an altercation or someone could see me as a threat um, or go to a restaurant, go to Starbucks, go to Wake Zone, right? And have a cup of coffee and someone be threatened by my mere presence. Right. Um, that is, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll just say this. I think that, and I, obviously I don't speak for all black people, right. so I'm just going to speak for myself, um, that when you are black in America, most of the time, you walk around with a heightened level of anxiety. It's always there. And when people hear privilege, right? Because let's let's keep it real, right? Most people that I know, even let's, most white people, right, are going to say, look, I've earned everything that I've gotten. Nobody gave me anything. I went to school. I got good grades. I've worked hard for what I have. And they are right. They have worked hard for it. And they've done everything right. But the fact of the matter is, the three of us could go walking down the street, down um, in Apex, downtown, whether we're going to fresh local ice cream or Ann's Pizzeria, or we're going down to visit uh, our, our, our buddy over at, at Wake Zone. When you guys walk down the street, you're not thinking in the back of your mind, man, I hope no one sees me as a threat. Right. And so even though I may not show it externally, I feel that internal tension because at any point, all it takes is someone to pick up their phone and make a call and say, I see someone who doesn't look like they belong here. I feel threatened for my life. And in that instant, my whole life can change. So us just taking a walk down that street where all those shops are, you are operating in privilege that I don't have. And that is psychological, that is emotional, and that presents itself in different ways. And that is a difficult thing for people to comprehend. And so that's where some of the systemic changes can come in where pulling people over for no reason that can't be rewarded. So we have to take away the things that reward those behaviors. So, um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. I think that's exactly creating this empathy and of, um, yeah, it doesn't negate how hard you or your family members did work. Uh, that's not at all what that term means. And I think that's a big stumbling block for a lot of people, but it does mean like you just said, um, that there are things that I don't, I absolutely do not worry about, but hopefully, and I should start thinking about them. Um, and, and, and again, empathy goes a long way. What do you say, Mr. O, to people who they're listening to this podcast, they hear what you're saying and, and there's just this moment of like, I have to do something. So what do you encourage people when they, when they hit that moment of, I have to do something, what do you say? Here's what you should do next. Yeah, and I, the, the fact they're asking is, I think, is great. Um, and that is that is a good thing that people are saying, man, look, I have to do something. I think the first thing we have to do is, is um, you know, if, if you're old enough to remember a world where there were no microwaves, <laughs> um, we have to go back and, and, and put our microwaves away 
and, and, and bring out our old pots. And what I mean by that is this, this is not a microwave solution. This is not a drive through, give me a two piece and a drink and, and I feel great and keep it moving solution. Um, this has been coming for a very long time, right? And so it's going to take time for it to change, but there are things that we can do right now. And I think the first thing is, it's hard for us to care about something we're not connected to. And so we have to find ways to connect with people that are not like us. Uh, one of the favorite people that I love listening to now is a pastor out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And his name is Michael Todd. And he has this whole acronym that he came up with called RISK. And the R um, stands for relationship. And that's where we have to come into play and really get to know each other. And the beauty of Apex High School, I mean, you know, we have these, um, what are those stations called? Um, collaboration stations. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have all this space. We have this beautiful courtyard. And, and we have the willingness, I think, from administration to talk about these things and to do something. So relationship is important. Um, and if you really want to understand, I think, um, you know, there's a website, webuyblack.com. Go support local black businesses once a week, once a month. Find some in the area. Go in, sit down, have a meal, ask to speak to the owners, ask them what their experience is like. What is it like having a bit? Just, just get to know people, interact with people who don't look like you and be intentional about it, which is the I, right? Um, and then speak up. We have to hold each other accountable. We can no longer allow people, I don't care what you look like. If you're in a, if you're in a store or if you're in a classroom and someone is saying something that is in, in, unjust or not right, we have to hold each other accountable, right? We have to say, hey, listen, no, no, no. We can't do that. We can't say that. Because with black people in this country, if you say or do the wrong thing, or if you call the police on them, their life could end. And, and so that's a big deal. And then just knowledge, educating yourself. Uh, and that's what we were talking about before. Understanding that what we are going through right now has happened plenty of times. And that's the uprising. Anytime black people in this country have had any upward mobility, it's always met with resistance. And we're feeling that resistance even now. And so we have to understand that that's what it is. And then all be together and be like, hey, listen, not this time, not this time. So I think those are things, and, and I know some of that may not be exactly uh, tangible, exactly tangible things. Some of it may be more theoretical, but I think it has to start in the mind and in the heart, which will translate into things that are tangible. That's good. That's hopeful. That's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. I think that's really powerful, um, especially the relationship aspect. Uh, that makes everything a little easier. So, well, um, we admittedly uh, put Mr. O in a tough spot. Uh, we're two white guys and we're like, hey, here's the black guy. Come tell us what to do. Uh, but you've just been really gracious. And um, we were really excited to talk about you. Just full of grace and wisdom. And, and we appreciate that. So thank you. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and and I hope, yeah, hope, hope I've helped in some way. Yeah, absolutely.
Yeah, well, again, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for your time. Uh, and thank you for just uh, lending advice to us. So uh, thank you so much, Oltmans, for joining us today. Yep, have a good one. And thank you so much, Mr. O. Absolutely. You guys take care.